Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Jesse Hernandez Jr. to talk all about how to build more connected teams. Let me tell you a little bit more about today's guest. Jesse was born and raised on the south side of San Antonio, Texas. The landscape of his career ranges from grading ditches to counseling executives. This path taught him that we are more alike than we are different. He leverages this experience by supporting leaders towards deep connection and building trust through their improvement initiatives. His message is one of contribution, ownership, and vulnerability. This message is visible in his podcast, Learnings and Missteps, his book, Becoming the Promise You Are Intended to Be, and the live stream experience known as No BS with Jen and Jess. And in today's conversation, there is no BS. Jesse is bringing the realness to what we actually need to be as a leader to build more connected teams. Enjoy. Jesse, welcome to the Leadership Habit Podcast. We are so excited to have you. Hello, hello. Talking about- Hello, I am like super excited. Try not to explode over here. <laughs> well, we'll take the enthusiasm. I mean, I'm excited about today's topic. We're going to be talking about how to build more connected teams. And as you sit in your chair in 2024, I'm sure that you've got some lofty goals or strategies that you want to accomplish. And this episode's for you. It's how to build that connected team, because of course, we're going to need the power of your team to be able to get to where you want to be at the end of 2024. So Jesse, I'm so glad that you're here on the show today. And I know I've gotten to know a little bit more about you. You're a published author. Oh, you got to tell us more. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Tell us yes, who you are, Jesse, and how you came to be. Yes, I love it. Thank you, Jen. Um, my name's like, actually, my real name's Jesus. Like, that's the mom, my, the name my mom gave me. And I have to say it, otherwise I'll get in trouble. Like, if she hears this. And doesn't know, like I didn't tell people my real name. Everybody calls me Jesse. Um, I entered, I guess, the professional space back in the 1900s, 1995, as a, an apprentice plumber. I began my career in the construction industry, and I've been in the construction space ever since. Uh, and I've kind of had many, many roles along the way, working in the field, got into uh, being a foreman, kind of field leadership, then office type management, production managing, and uh, I became an internal consultant for general contractor. I call it internal consultant because it's like I was supporting organizational change within the company, but I had no formal authority. <laughs> so we had to do it through influence. You probably know a little bit about the influence game. And, and, uh, from there, I went on to be the director of environmental health and safety for a national brand on the construction arm of their business. And then I started my own consulting business, which is Depth Builder, which is a crazy wild track because I originally I wanted to, I was going to be a plumber and just be the best damn plumber out there. Um, and I was for a little bit. And and my career has morphed and evolved so much so that I managed to drop a couple of books along the way and a podcast. So that's kind of me, the short and sweet of it. Tell me what goes into the name? What, how did you choose the name for your organization? Depth Builder. So the name of my organization, that was, that was kind of tough and kind of easy. You know, I think like a lot of your listeners, um, I understand the value of coaching and hiring like 
supporting services to help us grow and get past certain things. And so I had a coach helping me with my website and the book, same person helping me with the website, helping me with the book. Um, and we got to like, what's the name of your company? I'm like, like Jesse's awesome sauce. I don't know. And so <laughs> we went back, we kind of kicked a bunch of different ideas around. She continued to challenge me and she's like, Jesse, I'm just going to tell you what I've seen you do with other people is you have, you cause deep impact. Like you interact with people at a deep level and you help people get comfortable with going deeper than what they're used to. And I said, depth builder. And she said, yeah, I said, that's it. And so it was, what was funny is like, it was kind of a, a rash decision in the moment, made the decision, kept moving, which is kind of how I roll. And then I started getting feedback from my friends, people that I trust to give me honest and courageous feedback. I'm like, oh, hey, I named my company app, by the way. And I, I would say, what's the name? It's Depth Builder. Like, oh, my God, that's perfect. That's what you do. I'm like, oh, awesome. So that's kind of how it all evolved and came about. I love that. And I think it's so true. And obviously, I think it's going to really lean into our, our topic today, how to build more connected teams. But before we dive into that, tell me a little bit more about your second book that you're writing or that you wrote. Yes, the, it is my first second book. Um, Titles Becoming the Promise You're Intended to Be. I call it my first second book because I started writing it before the first book actually published. So I started writing this book. Another crazy idea, Lean in Love, 5S Love Letters, popped up as a result of some live streams I was doing with my partner, Miss Jennifer Lacey, partner in crime. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, we got to put this book out. Um, so we put that book out, had to pause on book number one, pick it back up, finally finished it. Anyhow, um, Becoming the Promise You're Intended to Be is a compilation of 20 stories that like my own personal stories. Um, and there is a lot of like the dirty details of the short-sighted, selfish, shameful things that I did and some great, awesome things that I've done as well. Um, and it the, the lessons that I learned from them, right? Because I feel like for me anyways, in the darkest times is when I have the deepest lessons. And yes, they were ugly, not so great uh, situations. But I discovered along the way by a friend, Lee, who pointed out me sharing my story with him, gave him hope for a family member who was um, stuck in addiction and stuck in, in, in self-destructive behaviors, which is where I came from. And when he and I were having the conversation, he's like, there's no way I, can, I could never connect you to being in trouble with the law. I'm like, and at the time it was funny because I'm like, bro, I'm on probation right now. Like, I can't leave the county without permission. Um, and what he said to me was, dude, you got to tell your story. You got to write a book because you gave me hope for somebody I was giving up on. And your story can help people that are in it. And the family members and loved ones of those people. And then I'm like, gosh, darn it. Now I feel like respond, like, okay, I'll do it. And so, so anyways, that's the book and it's all kinds of juicy, good stuff. All the stories in there are true. Um, and it really helped me demonstrate how much I value uh, vulnerability and, and like being as authentic and messy as we possibly can. And I've experienced tremendous value from from doing so. Well, and even your vulnerability 
in your book, even right now sharing. Thank you so much for telling us a little bit more about you. I think is a natural segue into one of the pieces that you talk about in terms of how to build more connected teams. I mean, I know that we just started with a little bit more personal vulnerability, but tell me why that's important from a team perspective. Yeah. So, you know, team perspective, there's this funny thing that happens and I really don't know why. I'm sure somebody's researched it somewhere, but it's like when we get into the professional space, we all of a sudden can't be us, right? Like it's, I behave as if when I show up to work, I'm not a goofball. I'm not a mess. I don't have problems. I don't have insecurities. Like I'm this avatar, professional avatar that's on the clock. And I have to behave, um, play the role. And so by playing the role, I have zero vulnerability, right? I've got to pretend. Um, and because I have zero vulnerability, and let's just say I'm in a leadership level, naturally by the leadership level, the level of authority, there is an expectation that we all have of our leaders. And so if my direct reports see me, Mr. Polished has everything together, everything in line, because I'm putting up that front, that compounds with my position and my title within the organization. And that compounds in such a way that it creates a barrier between me and the people I'm serving. And when I say the people I'm serving, I'm talking like in the truest form of being a leader. My job is to develop the people that report to me, develop their problem solving capabilities and help them grow their careers and their earning potential. Right. Like that's when I'm when I'm doing my job, that's what's happening. Now, it is very difficult for me to help people and connect with them in in a transformational way when I have a barrier between me and them. But I create the barrier. And so. One of the, you know, we hear the word vulnerability and people kind of get squishy and roll their eyes like, oh, here we go. Vulnerability again, because they think, I mean, I even I used to think like vulnerability meant I was going to give you my pin number and my credit card number and my social security number, because that's like real vulnerability. Right. I'm at risk by doing so. It doesn't have to be that big of a commitment. Same. I don't know is a demonstration in vulnerability saying i messed up i'm scared i'm overwhelmed i'm not sure what the outcome is going to be all of those things are demonstrations in vulnerability and so when i do that i as the leader or manager humanize myself because for real for real them younglings out there in our workforce they really think we're like unstoppable and we have all our stuff in a pile and sister you know ain't nobody got all their stuff in a pile right and so when i embrace the vulnerability i give myself permission to be human and i give my people permission to be themselves and ask the question that it's going to challenge them right like they may not have the authority but they're going to ask the hard question or they're going to say, Jess, that does that sound like a really bad idea. Like, what if X, Y, Z? But they won't do that if I haven't demonstrated that I'm human because I always have the answer. They think they, too, must have the answer. And that just slows their growth and puts the burden on me to continue being Superman. Right. Like, that's just not a sustainable situation. No. And I love that in terms of 
you know, when we're thinking about where to build these connected teams, it really does have to start with our own vulnerability because so much isn't being said. You talked about overwhelm. Like if you are overwhelmed, if you don't know, I think that builds so much more credibility when you can lean into that. Yet it creates so much divide when we can't say it because then everyone's struggling on an island by themselves and no one can help one another because no one wants to say that they're struggling. <laughs> so, everybody's out there like just trying to front. Well, it's so, you know, the connectivity, the vulnerability and connectivity. So here's the other thing. If I'm, if I rather, when I practiced leadership of like the traditional model, right? And, you know, part of it is what I see on TV, right? You see these lawyers and all these fancy business people and they have like all the answers. They're super smart. They say like perfectly designed phrases that land with the punchline and like, just, oh my God, I want to be like that when I grow up. What's happening though. And I think the lesson like that we kind of ingest like unconsciously is they're, they're doing the talking all the time, right? Like when I'm doing all the talking or maybe more clearly, when my mouth is moving, I am not learning. And again, because of my authority in the organization, if I fill up all the airtime, everybody else is waiting for direction, waiting to be told what to do. Whereas if I ask interested questions to draw people in and give them the airspace, right? Like a good, good measurement, if you're kind of early in on this thing, is just measure your, the airtime. If you're in a 30-minute meeting, Round about how many minutes did you move your mouth versus the number of minutes the group or the people in front of you moved your their mouths. And so if I create the conditions for people to contribute more, how do you do that? Well, you ask interested questions. How is that vulnerable? Well, it's, there's some vulnerability there because I, if I'm not talking, I'm not signaling to the room that I'm the smartest person and all the dang experience I have and all the credentials I have because I'm not talking. So there's a little bit of risk. So, and that's vulnerability, but because I'm interested in what people are saying and what people are thinking and continuing to understand their reasoning and their, their knowledge base and their logic around the idea, I'm giving them the stage. Is that vulnerability? I'm going to say, yes, there's a little bit of vulnerability because they might outshine me. But as a leader, who cares? Because my job is to help dev develop more leaders. What do you think? That, well, no, I, I love it. I, you know, I want to come back to what you just said at the end, which is who cares? Because I think I totally agree with the airtime. We've got to make sure that we are actually giving voice to others and letting go a little bit of that control of controlling the direction yes. it's going to go, controlling the emotions or the tones and really listening to hear what's out there. But I think on the other side of vulnerability, the who cares part is one of the hardest parts for a leader. <laughs> yes. What if they do? And I think you and I just talked about this on the pre-call. Like, I hate being judged. I just had a moment this morning where I felt pretty judged at, during an event. And it's still, it's three hours later and it's still getting at me because I, I just want to be liked by everyone. Oh, but that's not. Well, what would what advice would you have for leaders and being able to let go of being liked and loved by everyone? Because I truly think that is a big challenge. That's why we feel like we have to have the answers. That's why we feel like we have to put this brave face in. We want everyone to judge us in this positive way, even though people are not always going to like you. What would be your advice? 
Yeah. So uh, maybe two points. One is if you're actually making everybody happy, you're doing it wrong. And why do I say that? Because I have done it and I've seen other people do it, but they're not really happy. People are just nodding their heads to get you out of the room. And when you leave the room, guess what? They're going to talk about how jacked up you are, how um, how convinced you are, how clueless you are. So if everybody's nodding, indicating that they all like you, you're doing it wrong because they can't, right? And so what is my, or maybe the question is more, how do you best serve? Do I best serve by helping people stretch their comfort zone? Do I best serve by pointing out Like if I tell somebody they have a booger on their face, it may offend them, but I'm going to tell them that so that they don't go walk into the meeting in front of 20 people and clients with a booger on their face. And so they may not like me in the moment, but when I give them that courageous observation or courageous feedback, I've equipped them to better serve the people that they're intending to serve. And so it's not about being liked. It's about contributing our gifts and talents. And sometimes that doesn't taste so good. Sometimes that doesn't feel so good. And that's okay. And so everybody know if you're in a leadership or management role, you know, like it is a, it's the long game. It is total delayed gratification. And so if you can look around and see people that you've worked with that, that have been on your team and they're growing and progressing and their network is expanding and they're contributing in new and different ways to the organization, that's the indicator that you are serving appropriately. If they're not, if that's not happening, they probably like you. And that's not a good thing. (laughs) I love that because you have to do the right thing. How can you serve? Even if it means it's hard, even if it means they might not like it, I think it comes down to trust your intentions Are your intentions, you know, assuming positive intent. Are you trying to do what's right and using that to build your own trust in yourself instead of the indicator of whether everyone likes you? I want to dive into a few more maybe missteps or where people get it wrong when it relates to building connected teams. So we talked about vulnerability, you know, not being vulnerable at all. What are other missteps that people make around building connected teams or leaders make? Yeah, so um, I got two. I always have two, two big rocks. Um, You know, we talked about the vulnerability. We talk about airtime and we talk about feedback. Uh, And so some people confuse, I'd rather, I'm going to say the majority of people confuse directive and corrective conversations with feedback. Those are very different things in Jesse land, right? Like, Tell me what you mean by that. I love this. So Jen, you and I were having this conversation and maybe after the call, I'm going to say, may I share an observation? And you're going to, you get to say yes or no. If you say no, then I'll shut my mouth. If you say yes, I'll share what my observation was. Like, this was an amazing experience. That's feedback. You can take it or leave it. Like, it's not going to have any impact on your career if you take it. Uh, And also if you don't, right? Like you get to choose what to do with the feedback. It is an observation that I am sharing as a human being. Corrective or performance conversation in like a corrective measure situation. Let's say you report to me, Jen. I'm not going to say, Jen, may I share uh, an observation? Because 
I will give you my observation and you're going to say, oh, okay, thanks for that observation. Now, there's an inferred expectation that you would take that feedback or that observation and do something with it. And if you don't, here's the problem. If you don't, I, as the supervisor, I'm disappointed. And now I'm going to escalate the situation. We'll put, and this puts your job on the line. So I was never clear about the consequences of keeping or changing the behavior. And so a performance conversation or a corrective conversation needs to be anchored in some pretty damn clear language, not soft, fuzzy language like feedback. And so if you're not performing, if you're not performing, I am going to say, Jen, I need to talk to you about your performance. You're not hitting the mark on these things. Here are some things that I see you repeating. Here are some ideas I recommend you consider and tell me what resources you need to move forward. That's different than saying, can I give you some feedback? Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And so, go ahead. Yeah. And I think the thought there too, with just that you're coming to the table because too often people come into those performance conversations with, okay, here's the message that I'm going to tell you because I have to tell you for one reason or the other, but we're not coming with a place of like, here are some potential solutions. I mean, not to say you want to solve it for them, but at least showing them that you did the due diligence to think through how they could be successful and that you are there as a partner with them. I think sometimes we just throw it at people and that can make them feel like, can I even change? How do I even do this? Or it just makes you feel terrible. And so I like that you recommended or, you know, talk about let's let's discuss how can we actually solve this instead of just passing the feedback and checking a box, not even sure if it's actually going to go anywhere. Yeah, totally. And I got to be clear, right? I have to say, if you choose not to do anything about this, your the position or the role that you're in, your responsibilities will change. <laughs> like, so, you know, clearly that there there has to be a change to whatever that or you get to say, you know what, you're right. Like this job ain't for me. Awesome. Let's help you find something that you can be awesome at because you are an awesome human being. Um, now, on the other end, I've uh, and I've done this. All of these things I'm guilty of, right? Uh, I wish I knew what I knew because I'm smart, but I'm. It's because I did a lot of dumb stuff. Um, and the other one is the way we receive feedback, right? Because as a manager and leader, I've said many times, like. I have an open door policy and I support psychological safety. And when somebody came in to give me feedback, because and I am like, I'm a feedback fiend. Please tell me, share me your obs- share your observations with me because I need to know, right? Um, now, when people give you feedback, the only appropriate answer to feedback is thank you. Period. Because back to what I said a little while ago, we get to pick and choose what we do with the feedback. I get to pick and choose which feedback I'm going to internalize and take action upon, which also means I get to ignore it if I don't like it. Now, why is thank you the appropriate response? Because if I say anything else, I run the risk of signaling to the person in front of me that I'm defensive. And that I can't handle feedback. And really what I'm doing is rejecting the feedback. That's not what I want to do. I'm just trying to kind of explore, you know, what really happened. And I thought about that. 
what the person in front of you feels is like, oh, yeah, you don't really want feedback. And so the problem is they you turn off the faucet. You end up closing the faucet of feedback because your behavior signaled to that person that you can't handle or don't really want the feedback. But if I say thank you, that person will say, awesome. And the faucet stays open. And then if I actually go and deploy or implement the feedback they've given me, they're going to say, wow, he really does value feedback. And if I go like even gangster, gangster level and go back and say, hey, remember that feedback you gave me? I tried it. I did this, this, this. And this was the outcome. Thank you again. Now I'm really helping them understand like, man, your feedback helped me elevate my game. And so those are some other things that we do. Like we don't know that we're severing connection when I rebut or enhance or squawk about feedback, but I'm severing connection, right? I don't really, when I'm talking and talking and talking and talking and giving direction and giving instruction and telling stories, I don't realize that I'm severing connection. I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm trying to communicate. I'm a leader. I'm supposed to communicate, but I'm severing connection. And so there's these things that we do for a different intent, but the outcome is the problem. And so how do we do that? We spend more time listening. We spend more time saying thank you. We spend less time telling people what to do and more time helping people examine their thinking. And now we have connectivity going on. I love it. Well, and I like that metaphor of having the faucet open by saying thank you instead of cutting it off because then you're flying blind as a leader. Then you're breaking trust on a team. Oh, they don't care anyways. Why would I tell them that? And then we start to shut down or quiet quit because we feel like, why bother? I think so many of us have been there. So from, you said a lot in terms of about building connected teams. If we get into like more of those solutions, where would you recommend someone start? If they're looking at their team and let's let's paint the picture, it's 2024 and we're looking at our team. How do they build a connected team in 2024? Is it vulnerability or tell me more about what that might look like in action? Yeah. So <laughs> I've had the fortune of, of being able to like figure out how to form meaningful relationships rapidly so that I can have big outcomes, right? Quickly. Um, the first part is investing in the relationship. And what I mean by that is finding out, discovering what the person values and what pains the people are experiencing. And so if I'm the leader, I've got a new initiative next year. I need people to help like make that happen. And so I can go and put an email together and put a PowerPoint together, record it on video and like say it a thousand times like that, that you need to do that, right? Like that's a good practice. But if I talk to my department heads or if I talk to my leaders, VPs, et cetera, and get clear, like here is the thing, and this is one-on-one, right? It, it takes time. Here is the thing. Here is the goal. How much sense does that make? What problems do you see? What does that mean to you? Can you get behind it? <laughs> and what do I need to do to make sure I can support you, you can support your team, and so that I don't go changing the darn direction all the time? And so all of that helps me source and understand what that individual needs from me as a human being. And so now I have connection. And they know that I give a damn about them, and I give a damn about the goal. 
And we're going to have a dialogue along the way to make sure we're calibrating all the time because we're nobody's ever going on a straight line. We got to calibrate and calibrate and calibrate. And so when I demonstrate the interest in the human being by giving them one on one time and really being focused on what they feel and what they think about the objectives, what visions do they see? What problems do they see? What amazing outcomes could happen if when I do that, I've accessed the person's like hope. I've I've gone beyond just their body and their skill set. I have I can I have um, access to a piece of their heart because they've shared it with me because I created a situation for them to share it with me. Now, I will say this: like it sounds easy, but if you have been a transactional leader and you try to do this all of a sudden, it's going to be wonky. Like people will be like, "Well." weirdo like what what are you doing here and so what do i mean by transactional if the only time i ever talk to anybody is because there's a performance problem or because a due date is coming or because i want something for them that's transactional right otherwise i don't give you any time that's a problem and so if i come all of a sudden and say hey i really want to know what you think about our goals and what do you think i need to do to help better support you how can i better serve you they're going to look at you like you got three heads. And so depending where you are on the spectrum, if you're like hyper transactional and I've been there, like you got to give people grace and time and maybe find a proxy. And what do I mean by proxy? Somebody in your organization, like the influencer, the unofficial boss, right? Everybody, everybody knows there's one somewhere. The one person that everybody goes to, to find out, do they trust the idea? Is there like, is this going to be harmful or damaging to us? Maybe leverage your proxy to help you polish up and get past your um, transactional nature. And, and, and what it really means is you're going to have to get uncomfortable with not knowing how much time it's going to take to have this interaction with the person. And when I'm talking about time, I'm talking about the time it's going to take for them to trust and accept that you're operating in a different manner because we have a shadow of being transactional. <laughs> and so we have to give them time for that shadow to go away so that they can say like, oh yeah, yeah, he's for real. Oh no, no, she she really does have my back. So there's some of that to keep in mind as you go down that path. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like in terms of if you do have that reputation, if that is your leadership presence, that you are very transactional, I think it might do best if you actually own it. And say, you know what, in the past, I've tried a leadership style that maybe wasn't as effective or didn't land. And I'm trying something new in this year. I'm going to ask you questions that I know might not sound familiar, but I want to do this because I think there's a better way that we can all work together. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Owning it and saying, hey, I'm trying something new. Now, that is a demonstration of vulnerability, right? So for me, if, if I can't get vulnerable, that connectivity thing that I'm after, I'm just going to be chasing it forever. I know for a fact that because of my vulnerability, I have had the success that I have. Because of being vulnerable, I have the relationships that I have. Like it all goes back to rather, I'll say this my career trajectory, my revenue growth, my uh, contacts and experiences have been on like the, the hockey stick, right? And that hockey stick, is relevant or relative 
to my willingness to be vulnerable. The less vulnerable I was, the flatter my trajectory was. The more vulnerable I am, the the more angled uh, my trajectory has been a hundred percent. Well, people will just, that's where we're talking about connection and teams. We're talking about trust. And if you broke trust in the past, which you're human, you probably did in one or maybe a few more of your relationships, owning that misstep will actually build trust. If you just pretend that that's not the perception that you have, or those, you know, there weren't consequences to your actions, then no one else can heal and move with you. So connection obviously being what you would, you know, that first piece, if we really want to build connected teams, it's got to start with us being intentional about connecting. I know we're going to have to start to wrap up, but I'm curious your thoughts of how you can facilitate connection between team members. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So I'm going to get people real uncomfortable. So there's two ways uh, and I'm going to kind of, I'll spill the beans and then it's an invitation. So we have, um, I have a group called Emotional Bungee Jumpers. We meet once a month and we practice all of the stuff that we've been talking about. We have a game or we'll call it a game that helps us get reps of doing the thing, like doing it for real, for real. It's valuable because in the workspace, you have the pressure and the stress, right? You got to perform. We got metrics to hit. We got KPIs and OKR. We got everything. And so that extra stress kind of Helps us say, ah, we'll start that vulnerability stuff next week. Um, so, but in this situation, it's a bunch of awesome, high-performing professionals in different industries, and we're practicing. <laughs> uh, and so here's the, the name is Emotional Bungee Jumpers. And I, it, I know that's a little scary for some people, um, but the game is this. You got three roles. One's a problem owner, one's a coach, and one's an observer. Problem owner's job is to be vulnerable and share a problem. Personal, professional, doesn't matter. Doing it with a bunch of people you don't really know. That's a little scary. Coach's job is to only ask interested questions. No advice, no leading questions, no um, sneaky tells. Like, why don't, have you ever thought about doing, like, that's not an interested question. That's a tell, right? Um, And so for nine minutes, that's what happens. They have the dialogue and that's difficult. You're under the spotlight. Everybody's watching you. The observer's job is to document all the questions that the uh, coach asks for the purpose of giving the coach feedback. And so if the coach gave advice or asked a leading question or asked a closed-ended question, the observer's job is to say, coach, you did X, Y, Z. These were the numbers of violations that you had. Feedback. So a lot of times the coach will say, well, what was really happening? Like, nope, nope, nope. The right answer is thank you. <laughs> and so we become aware of like our tendencies to do these things. Now, the observer, what normally happens is the observer, instead of just giving frank, direct, factual feedback, they say, you know, your eye contact was great and your posture was awesome. And the tone, no, 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 no. Feedback. What was their performance? Just tell them what you saw. And it surfaces, again, elevates our awareness of how uncomfortably or maybe how clouded our feedback is when we're supposed to give it, even though that was the rule of the game. And so, you know, I just painted the, the three different roles. Do that with your team. And cycle everybody through each role. I promise you, I've done this with construction teams. 
in the job trailer multiple times on multiple projects. I've done it virtually. I've done it in group settings. And in every single setting, two things happen. One, people say, holy moly, I suck at listening. And this vulnerability thing is tough. The other thing that happens is after the first round, right? Like I said, nine minutes, start a new team, nine minutes. Um, the next group gets more vulnerable just because they got to see what vulnerability looked like. And they also got to see that the dang sky didn't fall down. And so if you want to build connectivity with your teams, do that or come hang out with us on the emotional bungee jumpers. I love the emotional bungee jumping, mainly because it's teaching so much. It's teaching the active listening. It's teaching yep. that power of vulnerability. I think it's teaching leadership skills of how to be just paying more attention or hold space for others. And of course, how then we can learn to take feedback on. Feedback is the breakfast of success as much as it hurts. Now, Jesse, I know that we have to wrap up our conversations, but I'm curious, how can our audience get in touch with you? Oh, the two best ways to get in touch with me is find if you're a LinkedIner, I live on LinkedIn, uh, Jesse Depth Builder on LinkedIn, Depth Builder as in deep trust, uh, deep connection. Uh, and the other place is my website, depthbuilder.com, where if you're like a TikToker or Instagrammer, like all the other socials, I have links there. Uh, but Instagram's kind of where I live. And then my website, I've got all kinds of things where people can, we can connect. And I would love to connect. Uh, also, every other Saturday, I do a live stream titled No BS with Jen and Jess. Again, I mentioned Jennifer Lacey earlier. Uh, she and I co-host a live stream at 8 a.m. Central on Saturdays. And we talk about the, the messy parts of being a human in the business world. I love it. I love it. Giving that opportunity to practice what you preach, that vulnerability. Jesse, I love the call to action. I hope everyone goes out there, there and acts a little bit more brave, maybe facilitates that opportunity to do emotional bungee jumping. That sounds like a well-rounded activity for so many reasons to building trust and connection on the teams. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jesse. You shared so many different insights. Go out there and invest in the relationships. And Jesse, thank you, for, of course, for giving us your time, your expertise, and your passion about how to build connected teams. We are grateful for it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I hope that you think a little bit differently about how you can lean into connection. Sounds obvious. Actually build more connected teams. As Jesse said, it requires that vulnerability. And maybe in the effort of vulnerability, you'll do Jesse's challenge. You'll get out there and try a little emotional bungee jumping. When you're vulnerable, it allows other people to be vulnerable. And then it allows us to truly see each other so we can work better together. And of course, if we can help you work better together with your team, here at Crosscom, we offer a complimentary leadership skills workshop. It's designed to be fun and high impact, and it can be done virtual or in person. Head on over to Crosscom.com. There you can request a leadership skills workshop, but also find out more about what we do to help you be a more effective leader. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this week's podcast, go ahead and share with a friend. Until next time.